The Interchange is brought to you by AES Energy Storage, a pioneering and world-leading storage developer and now energy storage solution provider. We are entering a new era, the electrification of everything, and the grid needs to catch up. That means making it into a more distributed, flexible, and cleaner network. AES Energy Storage is helping unlock the true power of the electricity system with Advanceon. Advanceon is a battery-based energy storage platform that helps utilities modernize their power systems rapidly and at a much lower cost than traditional infrastructure. AES brings 30 years of power sector experience to the storage industry, delivering the most reliable, safest, and best-performing storage solutions. Advanceon can handle any application, and it's always instantly available, without the need to burn fuel or invest in expensive peaking generation or other infrastructure to meet flexibility or reliability needs. It's time to unlock the full potential of the electric power system. That means building a new energy network, transforming the grid with energy storage, accelerating renewables, and electrifying everything. That is the vision and mission of AES Energy Storage. Learn more about AES's offerings by visiting aesenergystorage.com interchange. That's aesenergystorage.com slash interchange. This is The Interchange, weekly conversations on the global energy transformation from Greentech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey in Boston. Shale Khan is out this week. What happens when the most important market signal for energy storage gets stripped away virtually overnight? That's what happened in the U.S. this year when the regional transmission operator PJM put in place new rules for storage as a provider of frequency regulation. Between 2011 and 2015, hundreds of megawatts of storage were put in place to balance the grid in PJM territory. A strong market signal made it extremely easy to develop projects, and it caused an explosion of growth. We are in a different world today. Those heady days are over, and storage developers are looking to other markets and other types of grid services to make money. Our senior storage analyst, Dan Finn Foley, has been tracking the regulation of frequency regulation in PJM and other markets, and we dove deep this week on what it means for storage developers and future tweaks to market design. We started with a brief description of frequency regulation itself. Essentially, what you're looking at is short-term and long-term deviations between supply and demand. You might have a bunch of wind turbines coming online because the wind picks up, that increases your supply. A bunch of people may come home, turn on their air conditioners at the same time, that increases your demand. That mismatch that's created between supply and demand can affect the frequency on the grid. And generators don't like it when the frequency on the grid is deviating, so sometimes they'll even turn themselves off, which can create blackouts. whole lot of problems that can be created. Ancillary services, frequency regulation, uh, spinning reserves, non-spinning reserves, called a lot of different things, are designed to sync up the differences between supply and demand and really just ensure that the grid functions correctly without any outages. So, you know, if a wind picks up and the wind turbines speed up, the light in your office doesn't get brighter. You know, this is the way that it sort of manages all those little things. So 2011 was a turning point for the energy storage market because of new rules created in PJM, the East Coast and Mid-Atlantic grid. Explain those rule changes and what they did for storage. Yeah, of course. This this really was the first big opportunity for energy storage, the first market-based system where they could participate on, at scale. 
essentially frequency regulation had existed for a while, but it was all pretty large systems, natural gas turbines that maybe uh, have 100 megawatts capacity operating at 70 megawatts so they can increase their output, decrease their output. Uh, those things take time. It takes time to spin any sort of thermal sort of generation up. Uh, it takes time to manage frequency in that respect. So they developed a new signal, a dynamic regulation signal, which was designed specifically to take advantage of battery energy storage, flywheel energy storage systems that can respond in less than a second of time as opposed to 10 minutes or longer, things like that. Um, so when they designed the system, PJM, they designed this new signal, it was put in place specifically for advanced energy storage, short duration systems, usually 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minute systems to take advantage of that unique operational characteristic and make as good use of it as possible. When that new system got designed, they implemented uh, performance-based systems after the FERC order to that effect. And that essentially meant that if your system is performing better, they say, hey, we need energy and you provide energy, you're more likely to uh, be called upon in the future and the revenue that you get is a function of that as well. So that really opened up the market. Energy storage had a market that specifically addressed the unique operational characteristics of energy storage. And that's where that opportunity really took off. And it caused like a bonanza in relative terms to the energy storage market. It represented hundreds and hundreds of megawatts of storage deployment. And you could build a storage plant pretty easily in PJM at one point. Yeah, with the clearing prices as high as they were in 2013, 2014, the return on investment was really short. I was hearing things as short as a couple of years to make your money back. The prices were clearing very high because natural gas prices were high as well. And so there was a real gold rush into the PJM market in 2012, 2013, 2014. You see a lot of deployments coming online uh, into 2015 as well. And at that point, they reached sort of saturation in the dynamic regulation market. There's only so much dynamic regulation that you want as opposed to then longer duration regulation A uh, signals. So once that sort of peaked out and the, the signal became saturated, uh, some problems started appearing. So that brings us to the rule changes, which took effect at the beginning of this year. That's right. And it has caused a serious slowdown in the market. And it's a number of rule changes. What are they? And why has it caused the storage market to basically collapse in PJM? It, it is. It is a number of different changes. And we've seen that collapse uh, in real time as we've been tracking deployments there's an interconnection queue for PJM, of course, as there is in any ISO, and we're seeing projects sort of drop off that queue as opposed to being added to it. So developers, owners are not really looking at this market as favorably. There are a lot of different changes coming into play that are affecting this. The first and probably the biggest one is not an actual design issue, but it's a price issue. Clearing prices have dropped dramatically from highs in 2014, uh, as much from maybe $43 to, let's say, $15. Why? Uh, that's almost directly correlated to natural gas prices. There, you can pretty much draw a dotted line between clearing prices for ancillary services markets and natural gas prices. And as they've been dropping in the PJM territory, the clearing prices have dropped as well. The signal changes are affecting the market in a different way that's equally significant. One of the biggest changes is that the signal is no longer energy neutral. And that's a really big deal for energy storage. When you're talking about natural gas plants or wind turbine, things like that, they're not energy limited. They can generate energy as long as you want them to, or as long as, in the case of wind turbine, wind is available. With energy storage, you have a fixed duration that you're able to inject power into the grid. 
if you have a 15-minute battery, after 15 minutes, you're out of juice. You don't have any more energy to inject into the grid. A lot of systems went online in PJM that were 15-minute, 20-minute systems. And so they would expect after that time for the signal to converge back so that after they've discharged for a while, they could spend some time recharging. And the signal did that. There was, an unfor- there was a side effect of this where an energy resource would be dispatched. They would say, hey, we need more energy in the grid. Um, dispatch all of your stored energy now. And then after 15 minutes, the energy storage resource would be out. And so they'd have to start recharging. So in that case, they'd actually be working against the error that they're trying to correct. So at that point, the system operator would have to step in and actually manually dictate what was going on with that resource. So that was a pretty bad situation. And uh, that was due to that energy neutrality component. So they've pretty much axed that. They call it conditionally neutral, which really just means, you know, we'll make it neutral if we can, but no promises on that. So it's basically a recognition that storage is a unique technology and it needs its own sort of classification and it needs to be penalized if it can't provide the same services as, say, a natural gas plant. Exactly. So I would say that the original signal recognized that, the the operational characteristic. The new signal understands that but says, listen, we can't go out of our way to recharge you if the system is undergoing an event that moves it in the other direction. So now they're saying, well, we will direct resources to recharge you if we can, but if we can't, we still expect you to provide energy. If you can't provide energy, that's your problem at this point now. And then that lowers your performance score. Exactly, yes. And what does that do? So the performance score does a couple of things. There's a real domino effect here. The performance score drops means that your revenue drops because it is performance-based revenue. So originally, Regulation D resources had uh, 95% you know, in the, in the high 90s um, performance scores. Now you can actually look at these market reports, and they're dropping down into the 80s, into the 70s, much closer to what the Regulation A performance scores are. Because of that, your revenue drops. In addition, the performance scores indicate where you're coming online in merit order. So when you get dispatched to actually provide the service that you're in the market to do. So if your performance score drops, you may not be called up when there's an event, which means that you're not participating in the market. So it's really a double whammy in this case for it to be not energy neutral. Another big change is moving from the 15-minute signal to the 30-minute signal. Yeah, that's not so much a problem for uh, new energy storage resources. If you're building in the market now, you you have an expectation to have this 30-minute signal. The problem comes if you were a resource that built during the boom period when lithium-ion batteries were sort of assumed to have a 4-to-1 ratio, which would be about a 15-minute duration. Um, that's the ratio between uh, power and energy, basically just a measure of uh, you know, what fraction of an hour you're able to discharge energy in. So you need to build a much bigger capacity battery. Then. Yeah, exactly. So way, raising your costs, or if you're, or if you have an existing project, then you need to significantly lower your power capacity, right? Exactly. You have to derate. The way I try to describe it is if you have a rectangle, the energy is the amount of the area of the rectangle. One axis is the uh, power of your system. The other axis is the duration. And then you multiply those two together and you get the energy. If you have to extend the duration, then you have to pull back the power portion in order to keep the area the same because your battery isn't getting any bigger. So if you have a 10 megawatt system, you may have to derate that to a 5 megawatt system. And because your revenue is based on how much power you inject, that cuts your revenue in half right there. So are storage owners screwed in PJM right now because of these changes? 
It's a pretty big deal. The short answer would be yes. A lot of these systems, I think, got in early enough that they were able to get a significant amount of revenue out when it was 2014 during these really great boom periods. But right now, I think that a lot of developers and owners are scrambling to figure out how to make these systems cost-effective right now. I mean, you're not just talking about double-digit percentage decreases in revenue. It can be as much as 70-80% when you stack all of these different factors on top of each other, including the clearing prices. I don't see many people looking into the market as an opportunity right now. And if I were a developer looking at other frequency regulation markets across the country, I'd look at this as a big signpost and say, you know, this opportunity, you can have the rug pulled out from under you really quickly. And that would make me very nervous. So I think that brings us to the broader context of why we're having this conversation in the first place, and that is how quickly the rules can change. Um, How much of a cautionary tale is this for developers as they look to other regional markets around the country that are starting to integrate energy storage into frequency regulation, for example? I think it should be a pretty significant cautionary tale. When you go into a market assuming a certain set of rules are going to be the norm, and then they're changed very quickly, and your system's return on investment changes that dramatically, and it can even cause your system to be operating in a way that might degrade the battery, then you're looking at significantly altered economics. So you have to start baking in that assumption that something may change significantly before going into any of these markets. Do you see developers baking in those assumptions as they go into, say, ERCOT or MISO or California? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's an optimism there as well. PJM was the first market that had a signal designed just for energy storage. We see developers putting projects in designed to serve ancillary services in a variety of different markets. There's one in Maine serving ISO New England. We have a couple in Texas that are going online to serve the ancillary services market there. Um, that shows that developers see this as an opportunity. They're starting to dip their toes in these markets, uh, maybe learn a little bit about how they function, what the opportunity is. And there's already friction in that case. There is a battery system operating in the mid-continent ISO uh, in Indiana Power and Light, which is not really operating right now. There's this disconnect between what the expectation is for the battery system and the ISO rules of engagement there that have elevated this to to a complaint at FERC. And that's really where everything's dovetailing together. It's all coming into FERC at this point. That the, The industry really needs FERC to step in and provide some clarity. That's going to be the next big step. Uh, PJM did that. They came in and provided some clarity, but then they took it all away. Then they muddied the waters. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They, yeah, they cleared the waters and muddied them very quickly. So FERC needs to come in, and they've already started this process. So last November, FERC issued a notice of propo- proposed rulemaking. These acronyms get a little <laughs> too much. A NOPER. And uh, that notice basically said we should start a process to create a set of rules for regional electricity markets to integrate storage, to provide those market signals so that the storage can easily provide ancillary services. Exactly. And it suggested a lot of really important steps. Uh, two of the biggest ones would be that energy storage had to be eligible, which in many ISOs right now it is not, or is at least not explicitly eligible. But if you're, a, you know, if, you're, if you're planning a 20-year system, do you want implicit eligibility or explicit eligibility? There's a big difference there. And the second one is that all of these different markets have to recognize, I, I believe the specific terms they use is the unique operational characteristics. So that means things like energy neutrality, I think, falls under that umbrella. So the PJM signal, in this case, would then not mesh with the way that FERC 
I feel defines this. And I say I feel because there is, again, sort of a muddied water there. There were a lot of comments to the Snoper, and all of the ISOs pretty much said, oh, yeah, we're, we're pretty much there. Or, you know, we're, we're almost there. We've got a couple working groups in progress, and then we'll be all set. And the industry responded and said, you're really not close to being there. We need certainty to come into place and change this. So if the FERC NOPER moves forward, I think you're going to see these markets really move towards a much friendlier environment for energy storage. Could be a huge opportunity. You're talking gigawatt scale. We'd like to take a moment to extend a big thank you to our sponsor, AES Energy Storage. AES Energy Storage is a world-leading provider of grid-scale battery storage projects. AES Corporation owns $36 billion in energy assets and serves electricity to over 9 million people worldwide. Ten years ago, AES set up its battery business. Since then, the cost of installing grid-scale batteries has dropped nearly 90%, thanks to more efficient installation techniques, lower-cost hardware, and better lithium-ion batteries. This same trend took hold in the computer industry, where rapidly declining data storage costs revolutionized our digital networks. Lithium-ion batteries are now bringing data networks' resiliency and responsiveness to the electricity network by enabling multiple hours of storage. The grid is changing. Fast. And AES Energy Storage is helping utilities harness the power of battery-based energy storage to make the electric power system cleaner, more flexible, and more reliable. Visit aesenergystorage.com slash interchange to learn more. That's aesenergystorage.com slash interchange. There have also, you know, people often talk about revenue stacking. You know, you now that batteries are becoming more economic, you can use them in a ton of different ways. What are the other market signals and applications that are being developed for stores that you think are meaningful that could fill in the gap if, say, something like frequency regulation goes away or that can be added to a revenue stream like frequency regulation? How much time does the podcast have? You know, I mean, that's, that's a can of worms. The, the value yeah. stacking idea is... I, I speak to people who are of two minds of it. On one side, I talk to people who say energy storage right now is in a position where you don't even have to worry about being a Swiss Army knife. You can just be a corkscrew. You can provide capacity and you're done. It's, the costs are low enough that you can provide one service and be fine. Then I talk to other people who say if you're in the right market... You can be providing all of these things at once, and so long as your control system and the market signals are in place, you can be providing backup power while providing ancillary services and bidding into the capacity market. You can be doing everything for everyone all at once, and that's really exciting too. When you talk about value stacking, one of the problems, which ties again back to FERC, everything dovetails through FERC, like I was saying, there isn't a really clear mechanism to value stack in wholesale markets. In several ancillary services markets, you if you provide frequency regulation, you cannot then provide other services. You're disqualified from doing so. So that becomes a really big problem if you're relying on multiple value streams to do that. FERC put out this, uh, I believe, I think it was a policy statement, which I loved, which basically just said, we're open to the idea of doing multiple things at once, of getting market-based rates, say frequency regulation, and then cost-based recovery. Say you're providing uh, distribution deferral for utility, and they're paying you a flat amount for that. They basically said, yes, we've weighed in on these two specific items on this, but we're willing to talk about it further. That shouldn't This shouldn't be taken as a precedent. So that's, I think, the next frontier for energy storage. If the FERC-NOPER moves forward and says you're eligible, now what are you eligible for? You're eligible to do this, but can you also do A, B, C, and D all together? 
That's the next big step. Are we years away from that? I think so. The The first problem is, even if the FERC NOPER moves forward, if the ISOs go about examining multiple value streams at the same time they're reforming their market design, then energy storage is in a good place. If you then have to layer it on top of that existing pro- process, then you're looking at a much longer time frame. What's the likelihood that we start to see um, renewables and storage or say like a hybrid gas storage plant start to fill in for closing nuclear and coal plants? That's an interesting question. Talking about baseload makes things much more complicated. Baseload, if you're looking at something that's operating for 24 hours, then you need to be providing firm capacity. And to do that would require either a resource that's pretty steady already, or a really large amount of energy storage. Because the largest system that we have in place now are five-hour systems. I mean, there are some much longer. I'm taking things to talk mostly about batteries and flywheels and not compressed air as much or pumped hydro. Right. And and with batteries, I mean, five to eight hours is considered long-duration storage. Absolutely. And that is not long-duration in the baseload sense. Exactly. So if you have, let's say you're trying to firm a wind turbine, right? just talking about a single wind turbine or a farm, and there are a couple of days where there isn't much wind, then in order to provide firm baseload power, you would need 48 hours of energy storage resources to discharge. That means you'd have to charge that resource for a long amount of time to get that much energy, and you'd have to... What happens if you have a 72-hour situation? It's hard to plan that far ahead with intermittent resources. What are some of the other applications that are interesting to you? Uh, We saw... In the U.S. and California, in the Imperial Irrigation District, the first application of energy storage for Black Start, grid Black Start services. That's uh, kind of an interesting application. Yeah, that's a really exciting one. I mean, that's a big system, 30 megawatts to restart the entire grid. That's uh, something that energy storage can do really well. The In terms of how cost-effective that is, is a good question. Sometimes a simple diesel system is enough to get the thing up and running, but batteries can do it quickly, and now it's proven cost-effectively. Now that we have a proof of concept, I think that utilities, as they plan these systems out, are going to look at that more and more. I sat down with a bunch of folks from GE who were briefing me on this uh, storage gas hybrid platform. And they were all just talking about market design, right? Like they, they were interested in talking about the technology, but they wanted to talk about the market rules and regulations. So, you know, there are all these really interesting applications we can talk about, but when it comes down to it, it's all about the market signals themselves and which are still relatively immature and can change pretty quickly as the PJM story taught us. Absolutely. So they need that certainty. If you have explicit operational certainty about what you're bidding into and what the mechanisms are, then you're set. But even in the systems as they are now, that hybrid system is exciting because you're taking a system that responds in on the order of minutes, and now it can respond on the order of seconds. And that takes you up to a different ballgame, right? You're going from non-spinning reserve to spinning reserve, or spinning reserve to now you can provide frequency regulation without needing to burn natural gas. Um, but it is a market signal problem. And the way that you can tell that is that they're called spinning reserves, right? They were designed thinking about conventional generation turbines that are literally spinning. You know, if your lithium-ion battery is spinning, you have a contractor problem that you have to figure out. Um, So can you really have confidence that a market signal is designed for you if it's called something that no longer technically applies to the resource that you're installing? 
So we need a whole new set of language. Yeah, we need, you know, uh, charged reserve, something like that. Uh, of course, there are there are systems that call them primary reserve or supplemental reserve, things like that. Um, it's a signpost that energy storage, short duration energy storage, really wasn't considered when these systems were designed. And that's the problem that was identified in that FERC NOPER. And when that moves forward, we're going to see energy storage really explode across these markets. Daniel Finn Foley is a senior storage analyst at GTM Research, and he's keeping his eyes on uh, the development of markets for us here in the U.S. and abroad. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much, Stephen. That is all for The Interchange this week. We're off next week while the team meets up at the Grid Edge World Forum in San Jose. The Energy Gang will be doing a live show from there, so sign up for the event or become a GTM Square to watch the live stream. Podcast listeners get 15% off a conference registration Use the code ENERGYGANG, all one word, for 15% off at checkout. Thank you so much to AES Energy Storage for being our launch sponsor. We appreciate their support. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Overcast, or any podcast app of your choosing. Please, if you can, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It is super helpful for finding new listeners, and uh, that's where most people do find us. Again, we're off next week and the 4th of July holiday. But Shale and I will be back on the second week of July with all kinds of good conversations. This is The Interchange, weekly conversations on the global energy transformation from Green Tech Media. We'll catch you next time.